0: praise the Lord first Peter first Peter chapter four this morning I haven't mentioned the name of another book to begin with since January but for two weeks it's just been something the Lord's been putting on my heart for a long time we spent a little time here on Wednesday evening because on Wednesday evenings we're doing a little study of the church in the auditorium Bible study and We did about 16 weeks on the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit and we're doing the Doctrine of the Church now, looking at selected passages in the New Testament. And like I said earlier, the noisier things get out in the old world and the more pressured people feel, the more pressured you feel, it's just time to... Uh, take a little break and investigate a text of scripture that I hope will uh, focus our hearts in the right direction to be sure. Uh, now listen, 2 Corinthians, we know 10 through 13 that we've been studying is really about the spirit of the age and its influence on the church. And it's not a very positive influence on the church, is it? Uh, the spirit of the age, 1 John chapter 4, John said, test the spirits, whether they be of God. And, and we seek to do that always here. 2 Corinthians 10-13 through 13 is really uh, a long portion of scripture that really helps us do just that. Test the spirits to see if they be of God. And, and um, we're going to continue to do that uh, in November. Uh, but I just wanted to redirect this morning and take a look at a passage of scripture that may be familiar to, to many of us. Um, but uh, to reorient and redirect our hearts uh, towards what people of what the people of god focus on when they're under intense pressure it's really what it is it really is a discussion of god's priorities for his people while they're living under intense pressure so we're gonna look at these priorities and direct our minds and hearts that way okay so let's pray and then we'll dive in here father in heaven we love you we thank you so much for this opportunity to look into the Word of God that you've inspired and preserved for us in its entirety. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God that indwells us would be our instructor, our illuminator. Give us the wisdom to apply uh, to the person what is to be applied from the truth of the passage. Help us, Lord, to do this together as a body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's read these verses. First, First, Peter chapter 4. First, Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We preached through the book of First Peter almost a decade ago. I wouldn't expect you to remember this text in particular, uh, but we've reformed uh, this text to, I trust, bring out more of the truth of the text as it would have been received by those in Asia Minor who first received it. So the external, as we've said already, and internal pressures that we deal with every day uh, seem to be at an all-time high. Pressures of our job, pressures of school, pressures of demands on our time, the pressures of deadlines, finances, expectations of others, our own expectations of ourselves, the pressures of being a husband or a wife or a parent, the pressures of wanting to be married and not being married yet, Pressures of maybe wanting to have kids and not being able to have children. The pressures of you young people who say, What am I going to do with my life? The pressures that come from us who are older, looking back, asking ourselves, What have I done with my life? Pressures everywhere. In every season of life. And my friends, it's even upon our children now, isn't it? There are pressures our children face now that I never faced when I was a little one. Uh, there's academic pressures put on them, expectations. Uh, my goodness, some, some curricula of some schools is... Uh, and I guess it's all fine and good if you want your children, child to be trilingual before they graduate from kindergarten. I don't know. I know I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but it just seems to, I was learning my ABCs in kindergarten, not Latin. Um, And then the athletic pressures put on our kids, right? Got to be as good at hitting a a curveball as Johnny is next door. And, you know, maybe we can get on Johnny's travel team and and, uh, live underneath that added pressure. Of life, and and um, gone are the days when the biggest pressure for me coming home from school was making sure I didn't have any grass stains in my pants from playing football at recess. That was pretty intense pressure in my home. <laughs> but the pressures that we've just discussed, or detailed here those are just really common pressures of life it seems to me in the last year and a half that there's other pressures that have been added on to these normal pressures that have made things even more difficult to endure the pressures and oppressions of the day have hit my home personally in very targeted ways i know they're hitting yours too Pressure has a way of wrapping itself around our hearts. And many of you, I've talked to hundreds of you, are feeling squeezed. You're feeling squeezed. Uh, And when we get squeezed, all kinds of interesting things happen, right? When we get squeezed, sometimes a lot of the junk comes out of us. Right? One author said that when our hearts get squeezed, out of it comes anxieties, fears, impatience, frustration, laziness, jealousy, selfishness, anger, apathy. Pressure doesn't put that stuff in our hearts, but it can squeeze it out of our hearts. And that's been part of our dilemma as God's people in the last year and a half too, hasn't it, right? There are things that we didn't even know were in our hearts that the pressure has squeezed out of our hearts and it's maybe even surprised you a bit. Or maybe it's just really defined you to be who you really have been all along. I don't know. So the Lord knows our human state and in his grace, he provided a playbook to live by when all these pressures mount and they seem insurmountable. Yes, the Bible's the book. But there's a book within the book that contains truth for us, where God can teach us, God can be our tutor, how to persevere with joy under pressure, and it's the book of 1 Peter. There's an overall outline of this book that's been generally accepted by most And if you want to write this overall outline down, you may have had it from some time ago. You may have had it from your own study of this book. Uh, But really, from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, and verse 10, there's just this glorious analogy of our great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can bring rest to the human soul. Uh, There's only one Jesus who was able to die a death on the cross for the sin of all mankind. My transgressions, your transgressions. And when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, he's able to forgive us, bring peace to our souls, and grant us life eternal in him who is life eternal. So that whole first section is really about why we live holy lives, because we have such a great salvation. Chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 4 and verse 6 is the second part of this letter. And there we're called to live... In a holy fashion, as a witnessing people. Go back and review the letter on your own, but there are sections of that second section that teach us how we are to be light at work. How are we to be light for Christ in the area of human government? Right? How are we to be light for Christ in our homes domestically? And Peter highlights some various areas where we live out the gospel very similarly to the way Paul Paul does in Colossians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 4 through verse 6 there of chapter 4. But that's really the whole second part of this letter. How do people under pressure live holy lives unto being a witness for Christ and proclaiming the great salvation that the whole first part of the letter is about? And then chapter 4 and verse 7, where we begin this morning for the next two weeks, through chapter 5 and verse 11, this is how we endure under pressure in light of, for us, a pretty major event on the calendar that is yet to happen. Jesus is coming again. And what do people who are under intense pressure make as their focus in light of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So very simple things we do. But what I find it fascinating here and we'll see it in the language of the text this morning and next week is that people that are under intense pressure, being pulled apart, literally being squeezed out are only people that are able to endure in any culture of time because they do have a great salvation they do have a great message, a great mission. And we do have a great expectation. We have a great salvation, a great mission, and a great expectation. And in light of all these great superlative blessings that are ours, this is what God's holy people do. Okay? So even though these... Anxieties, fears, patience, frustration, laziness, jealousy, selfishness, anger, apathy, all these things may have been squeezed out of us, and, and maybe the pressure of the last year and a half has really done to you the same thing it's done to me. We can focus our attentions back on God's playbook here in this letter and remind ourselves of this great salvation, this great mission and then living in light of a great expectation. That's all I want to do uh, this week and next week. And I trust you'll come back and join me again. You see, folks, the people that Peter was writing to here were under the greatest pressure as Christians in human history. As a matter of fact, the author of this book, Peter, was actually crucified upside down in the court of the emperor of Rome, Nero, mocking the Jesus whom Peter preached. Peter writes in chapter 5 to all of these pastors throughout Asia and Asia Minor, how to oversee the flock in times of intense pressure, not just daily life pressure, but pressure that God's children live under, which is really a pressure that is unlike any pressure people live under in our world. We learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 a few weeks back that there is a God of this world and he is the greatest oppressor of all time. He loves to oppress God's creation Through temptation, sin came into the world. And through that effect of sin on the world, the whole world has been under the pressure, the consequence of that sin. From the time that sin came into the world, God gave a way for the people of the world to be forgiven. From the consequences of the sin, the, the oppression that sin brought... In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave that way to find forgiveness and relief. And the people that did embrace Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, the people to whom Peter writes, the God of this world, Satan himself, puts his crosshairs on those people in a very intense way. And while he can't possess them, he can't oppress them. And my goodness, he does. (laughs) He does. The purpose of this pressure that God allows is to grow us to be more like our Savior, who we own as our Lord. And the greater the pressure gets, the more we're able to be conformed in the image and likeness of our Christ. In my lifetime, I don't think I've ever been around the most mature saints who all in chorus speak of their concern for the situation of the world right now. The whole globe seems to be dwelling under a heavy canopy of spiritual and political and social and practical (laughs) oppression. Just when we think one day has brought enough oppression for us personally, our church collectively, our community, our nation, and our world can handle, another one comes. And another one comes. And we all know who the greater oppressor is, and we've already said, and we know that he's against the plan of God to redeem the world, and we can know for sure that he and the world will try to undo, thwart, combat God's plan to buy the world back to himself in Jesus Christ. Ever since again, man fell into sin and God provided a way out of that sin and the effects of that sin through Jesus Christ alone. Satan has tried to undo Christ and the message of God in Christ. And those who own Christ, the one who can save the world from the oppression of sin, Satan blankets them with more and more and more and more and more and more and more more oppression because Satan hates the message of God in Christ. And if he can keep people from hearing it, that's what he'll do. And for those who have owned it, if he can keep you from living it and speaking it, that's what he'll do. So. Someone sent me, I don't know if it was one of my kids or whatnot. I'm not on TikTok, but someone sent me a TikTok text. And uh it was some girl, and you've probably seen this. This is probably going to be quite mundane to all of you, but is a watermelon, right? And there was this uh, probably a I don't know late elementary girl, probably doing a school project. Um, I don't know, it's physics project or whatever. But it's a watermelon, right? And they, they have a box of rubber bands, right? And they're going to take the rubber bands and put it around the watermelon right some of you kids are smiling the rest of you don't even know tiktok or what tiktok is right (laughs) i don't know three 350 351 rubber bands right and you just keep putting these rubber bands over this watermelon and then sure enough the what you think is the unthinkable actually happens it's on that 350 second rubber band that this watermelon just bursts. And some of you feel like that spiritually in the last year and a half. We've been having rubber band after rubber band after rubber band. And just when you thought you were going to hold up underneath all that pressure, there's this other rubber band. And even those of you that have been saved the longest, sometime in the last 19 months, you burst. (laughs) Right? And that's a good thing. Right, Because it creates quite a mess, right? as a matter of fact, when these this little girl's watermelon burst in real time, she's watching it burst and turning away, running away from the mess right of the splatter of the watermelon. So what do we do with that which is the mess within us, apart from Christ? We in Christ seek to address it, clean it up and move forward and regather ourselves, so to speak, spiritually and grow to be formed into the likeness of Christ. And I think folks, not just you, not just me, not just us, but really those who are in Christ across our country and across the world have been squeezed and and for many, some glorious things were revealed. And for many, some ugly things were revealed. But nonetheless, the church has some opportunity here to pursue the doing of the playbook outlined here by Peter in this passage. So we're going to divide verses 7 through 11 up into a handful of sections, and I'm going to forecast these for you right now. Then we're going to go back to the first and maybe get to the second and focus on the others next week. So what do believers focus? What is the focus of believers who are under a lot of pressure, who have been squeezed, maybe had some uglinesses come out, um, maybe had some, you know gracious virtue come out while you're under pressure. Regardless, how do we regather? How do we focus? And verse seven says that we're just to live expectantly. That's it. Live expectantly. Verse seven is going to go on to teach us that we're to pray fervently, live expectantly, pray fervently. Verse eight Forgive freely. Forgive freely. Verse 9, be available willingly. Be available willingly. And verses 10 and 11, serve faithfully. Serve faithfully. We're going to cover those handful of plays in the playbook, if you will. So verse 7, we read it, the end of all things is near. That's the first line, isn't it? The end of all things is near. By the way, uh, this was a common phrase that was written by authors of the New Testament, primarily Peter and Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But it became a common phrase in day-to-day talk among God's people, whether they were gathered together in assembly to worship or they would brush shoulders with each other in town. And especially a group of people that were under a lot of pressure and actually their lives were at risk because of their faith. So regularly when they interfaced with one another, they would say this, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. And this statement was not a statement of doom and gloom. It was a statement of hope and joy. Right? And I think that's really important for all of us who are in Christ to embrace that. Because these folks were certainly under much more intense oppression than we Could we get to where they're at? I don't know. I think Satan would love for us to be where they're at. We're not there yet. But regardless, the tendency of God's people is to be more doom and gloom than hope and joy. The more they get squeezed. So I think we just need to stop there and just kind of draw the circle around ourselves real quickly. Me too. Me too. The end of all things is near. <laughs> the end of all things is near. <laughs> it's really only two ways that this can be understood. I'm going to list for you here a number of passages where you'll see this phrase mentioned. Romans chapter 13 and verse 12. Paul says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Don't abandon the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see this day drawing near. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. You can write that down if you feel so led. The husbandman stands at the door. He's near. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, the same. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, Be you also ready. For an hour that you think not, the Son of Man comes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 that we've already studied this year, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Whether He comes to take us home or whether we're absent, our goal is to be pleasing to Him. Now, what's fascinating to me about each one of these passages that has as its content the nearness of the end, right? coupled with this is the opportunity for the believer to grow in Christ's likeness. The end is near. Now, wow, well, how can we become more like Christ? Because he can come today. That's the goal. That's to be the distracting reality of the Christian existence. Not the oppression that's squeezing us. Right? It's to be the glorious expectation of the end is near. Jesus is coming and we may see him today. And my goodness, I... I uh, I got to get ready. I got to get ready. I received pictures from both of my son's new brides in the last few weeks of their weddings. And boy, those are fun to just look at, aren't they? And boy, the preparation, all the photos of. (laughs) the bride and the girls getting ready and separate photos of the groom and the groomsmen getting ready and and uh one of my i can't remember maybe it was my daughter I don't know sent me another tiktok by text and there's there's this there's this thing out there on tiktok i guess of of these grooms up front right and someone, I don't know, is stalking them with the video over here, just waiting to see their expression of when their bride appears in the back of the venue and comes in. And the whole goal is to see them crushed with the emotion of joy and break down in tears and how romantic it is that this strapping, good-looking guy just just buckles under the beauty of his bride. And then I kind of kind, kind of like watching those. I just... I was, kind of, I was kind of the same sappy way on my wedding day. But my goodness, there's, there's a lot of preparation that goes into that moment. I mean, because of all the preparation, there is that eclipsing moment of wow and ha huh and mercy. She's beautiful. I mean, I hope you thought your wife was beautiful on your wedding day. I hope you still think she is, you know. I hope you tell her she is. But this is the idea. The preparation is done. The bride's about to meet the groom. This is the joy of a believer. Regardless of the darkness of the culture. The more the suffering more the pressure mounts, the more we're squeezed to look up and to no longer look around. Right? This is what believers do. 1 John 2, verses 27 and 28, there's that preparation time mentioned again for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word end here is an interesting word as it was understood in the first century. Right? Peter's not discussing the end of a particular thing like the things we've been seeing in the last year and a half that have become very personal to many of us, the global political or social oppression or the suffering of a physical illness. He's literally saying the completion of all things is at hand. The end of an age is at hand. And the word end here, telos, is translated in the New Testament also as purpose. Purpose. The purpose of all things is at hand. In other words, God's got a design. He's got a purpose for all these things being completed unto the end. It literally means, it's a, the word telos is a goal that's achieved. A result gained. A fulfillment realized. An ultimate destiny visualized or seen the word teaches us that when the Lord returns that Christ will be the wrap up of the age in which we live he will be the relief of the church of Jesus Christ from the pressure cooker in which they live and each church that had access to this penned inspired material believe the same and the grace they knew caused them to persevere under great pressure with joy because the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose of God in Christ was about to conclude. The Bible teaches us that this age this age really began at the death of Christ and the beginning of the church. So, this age that Peter's talking about here has been in existence for over 2,000 years. Believers have been enduring under not just the general oppressions and consequences of sin, everyone does, but these enhanced, well, more layered, pressures because of our exclusive embracing of Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul describes these times that believers have been living under as perilous times. In the latter days, perilous times should come in in 1 Timothy chapter 3. uh, You can read those. 2 Timothy chapter 3, you can read those perilous times described. But folks... We have to remember that 2 Peter 3 says that 2,000 years is like two days for God. So a little over two days since Jesus died in God's mind. What seems long and arduous and unending and unbearable to us God's got this. Second Peter 3 says, A day is as a thousand years to God, and a thousand years a day. That which is infinite and eternal, can't be defined by a 24-hour time frame, or a week, or a month, or a year. He's timeless in and of His own nature. So when we, we couple that reality from Scripture to this phrase, The end of all things is near it really turns it into a positive thing that we're glad that God inhabits time and eternity. We're glad that he already lives in our tomorrow, that he already lives in our 2022, and he still lives in our 2019 and 2020. There's nothing that's been confusing to him. He certainly has not stopped loving us with an everlasting love, and he promises to love us until the end. That's his eternal promise to his children. And he promises grace enough to persevere through the most difficult seasons of life. I think you should cross reference here the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. Five times at each one of the end of the five chapters of that little letter, the Apostle Paul mentions the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he do that? Because these people, that was their hope. Outside the churches of Asia and Asia Minor, the Peter writes to Thessalonica, was the church in Macedonia that was most afflicted for their faith. Right? They were most pressured for their faith. And their expected hope developed a Christ-likeness in them, developed a joy, nurtured a joyful disposition of them. Because when you're under the pressure that these folks were and the Thessalonic people were, I'll tell you what, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ looks really good. And so it should really for us. There's a common phrase in athletics that my children were taught, and you're probably familiar with it. Coaches would always say, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And so the goal is here, according to all these texts, have this hope, have it with joy, but let that hope, right? 1 John 3, purify you even as he is pure. Let this hope form you. Let this hope handcraft you into the likeness and character of, Of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The phrase here is at hand. It's one word in the Greek language, and it literally means to come near. It's in the perfect tense and has the idea of a process consummated with a resulting nearness. It's tangible for us, right? As a matter of fact, emotionally, for me, It causes my heart to race a little bit more when you understand the grammar of this and the reality of what Peter's saying here. It's right here. (laughs) The day of the Lord stands ready to break in at any moment. As one author said, So allow the pressure that we're enduring To see others more compassionately, ourselves more realistically, the scriptures more fully, heaven more closely, and Christ's appearing more sweetly. So let's remain expectant. Opportunity number one. Stop looking so much around and start looking a whole lot more up. All of you that have one of these, at the end of every week, you get sent how many hours of screen time you had on it. I got my report today. Only after having re-examined this text this week. I need to stop looking around so much. No matter what screen, this one, right, this one, the one that has a remote, the one that you can speak in, and I don't want to say it because last time I said, hey, can you do this, someone's phone did, I <laughs> in the service, you understand what I'm saying? We, we, we are really saturated with, sometimes folks, I'll be honest with you, I think we're saturated with more information than God even ever intended us to have. And when you can't bear up under it, you're getting too much and not enough of this. <laughs> and certainly not enough of joyful expectation and the next spiritual discipline that we're going to see here in verse 7 as we close this morning. We need to live expectantly, and we need to pray fervently. Pray fervently. If we truly are going to endure well, then in our homes, then in our presence with each other as a body, regardless of the venue in which we enjoy each other's company, there ought to be more and more, more bowed heads and closed eyes and clean hands lifted up with one another in prayer. I mean, if we're really going to do this text and remain relatively undistracted from all the noise around us, we're going to have to know what it means to pray more fervently. Thomas Watson an author that many of you are familiar with said this, Christ went more willingly to the cross than many of us do to the throne of grace and prayer. Friends, believers under pressure must have a release valve. And that release valve is prayer. We can't spiritually breathe if we don't pray dads moms if you feel that your children can't sense the pressure of what's going on in this world as you sense it don't be fooled god's even given the spirit of a little child the ability to discern when things aren't so good in the home and in the world They're created in the same image of God as you are, and they can know. They sense it. All the more reason why you just pick them up, put them on your lap, hold their hands in the car, take a walk with them, and just pray. Just pray. This is what this pressure squeezes us to do. As we look up, we pray. It's in prayer where we affirm God being bigger than our ability to understand everything about Him and His ways. It's in the environment of prayer where we realize that an infinite God can never be grasped completely by a finite mind. And to think that we could is both a theological and logical impossibility. It's in quiet prayer where we find the ability to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and where we find the patience in him to allow him to exalt us in his timing. And it's here in Peter's wording that we find the person of prayer described. You see what it says here in verse 7? "The end of all things is near, therefore... Be sound in judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. The person of prayer is described here very simply, very simply, as being someone of sound judgment and sober. Sound judgment, you know what that means? Honestly, Peter's listener or reader, right? be calm. Be calm. In the right mind. Expectant people embracing the progressive sanctification process remain as calm as possible in prayer under pressure. In the environment of prayer, they beseech God for His wisdom to be applied to their circumstance, and He answers. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and allows us to put hands and feet to it in spiritually healthy healthy ways. And He goes on to say they're not only of sound judgment, they're sober. This just means that the people of God are the most sensible people in the world. And my goodness, doesn't our world need this and all the nonsense that's out there? There's a ridiculous amount of nonsense out there. To think that we could have part of a culture that believes another part of a culture is unforgivable... Your children have probably been approached as being less of a human being and being eternally racist because of their skin color. And it's an irredeemable reality. There's no sense in that. Every man's created in God's image. Skin color didn't change anything. We all have equal value because we're made in his image. To say that one culture says another culture is irredeemable because of skin color is absolutely nonsensical. But the Christian world in prayer, these are people of sense, common sense. Everyone's to be loved and respected because of who they are as made in the image of God. We're wise. The word sober literally means having our mental capacities around us. And so, yes, that's some of the pressure that you feel as God's people in a world that seems to have lost its common sense, lost its sensibility. In prayer, these are the kinds of people that pray. And God's people are able to go out into the community as true light and continue to pray and continue to love every soul that they see that's made in God's image. Sensible, wise people that have their mental capacities about them don't cancel anyone out of their life. Makes no sense. Cancel culture doesn't make sense at all to someone who has sense. But we remain sober in judgment and and, 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 and sound in judgment and sober for the purpose of prayer unto the end of prayer. This is what sensible sober people do. We just pray more. Honestly, we just pray more. You know, so if around the building, from now on, we just see one couple with another couple paused in prayer on their knees over here or holding hands over here or, or over here or over here, just at random times when they're feeling pressure, that's the will of God. I don't know how else to say this. If you just stop your whole family dead in their tracks when things are kind of chaotic and the world's affecting the home, and you just stop and say, okay, we're just going to pray. Everyone be quiet. I don't care how hangry you are. Right? Right? I don't care what your test score was. In addition to being canceled out of someone's life. Everyone just stop. We're going to pray. Take a deep breath. Pray. That's common sense. That's sober. That's what people of hope and joy do. Now think about this. He starts with a positive statement first. The end of all things isn't here. This is like super exciting. So duh, what are we going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Because in that moment, we put our earplugs in and we just pray. God's preparing us for an appearance. He's preparing us for an appearance. All right. So here again is an additional word granted test that helps us make sense. Of what it means to live under pressure with good character. We still must live. We must live. We all know Peter wrote to an afflicted people. We all know they had to survive some extreme circumstances that we've not had to face. But we may. We don't know. We don't know. You can't predict we can see on screens and we can hear in various you know social media platforms and various news outlets certainly it seems like more and more that that faith is becoming the target of many and all of us could list about 75 different ways that that's happening in our your own personal realities, let alone our current cultural realities. And and who'd have thought that in our country that faith would ever be in the crosshairs of anyone. (laughs) But hey, it's happening. But those are the people who continue to be the most sensical, sensical with common sense in the culture for the purpose of prayer. So Peter is encouraging us here to make sure that our lives are blanketed in prayer among one another, as things grow more difficult. And prayer here is the most common use for the word, and it's plural. It relays the idea that in anxious times, our minds shift to calmness, clear thinking, and prayer, which is already a natural part of our lives anyway. Pray without ceasing. Interesting, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But people who are really joyful about seeing Jesus and who spend a lot of time in prayer the next virtue that we'll get to next week that's like a hot knife through butter for them they forgive easily in other words the flow of the text is going to teach us that if you're not living expectantly with joy you're probably not praying much and if you're not living expectantly with joy and praying much, you're probably going to be a person that's going to find it really hard to forgive anybody. Right. But for us, this is the spiritual discipline of grace. And the tougher the pressure gets around us, the more easy it is for us to forgive. And we'll start there next week, okay? Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for this passage of scripture that you've preserved for our learning. We thank you for its simplicity to understand it. I pray, Lord, we go from this place this morning more joyful than when we first came. And help us, Lord, to be that spiritual common sense in a culture that seems to increasingly be growing with not much common sense. And may that common sense we bring to it not be a political position or a social position, but, Lord, may it be the message of our glorious salvation, the joy of our Jesus, Because truly, truly he came to save the whole world and sinners in it of whom I am chief. In Christ's name we pray.